are listening to Tech Reads, interviews with emerging technology thought leaders. Our sponsor is SoftTech, the premier technology trade association that has been serving Northern Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo County since 1997. Our mission is to create soft tech moments where people connect, explore ideas, and create new business opportunities. Learn more at softec.org. Hello, everyone. This is Brian Schwartz from Tech Reads, uh, the podcast sponsored by softtech.org. We have a great guest today. Bob Demucho is my co-host, and Neil Thompson is our special guest for a brief chat about his book and his business around Teach the Geek to Speak, which I love that uh, title, and uh, I think it's a really good fit for our audience because it talks about how to move uh, STEM professionals into the professional speaking realm and why that's an important skill for them to develop, which I 100% agree. Um, and we're going to talk to um, Neil a little bit more and learn more about him. And Neil, you have a, a podcast that you've been doing for quite a while, I just realized. Yes, it's called the Teach the Geek podcast. And I interview people with technical backgrounds about their public speaking journeys. It's a lot of fun to do. That's great. Well, kudos to you. I think you have over 200 episodes at this point. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Wow. So maybe just give us the quick um, background of yourself and about the book and how it came to be. Because you you published this pretty recently, right? It was published in 2018. Oh, okay. Not too recent. Yeah, it's been enough for a bit, but I never really did a whole lot in promoting it, funny enough. But it all started with me just working as a product development engineer in the medical device industry and having to give presentations on a monthly basis in front of management and not being all that great at it. And I noticed a lot of the other engineers weren't all that much better at it than I was, but I certainly saw the benefit of improving because I didn't want to look like a clown every time I had to give a presentation in front of the CEO, CTO. CMO, fill, C's, fill in the blank, oh, all the C's. So I, I certainly did get a lot better at it. And I, basically I turned everything that I learned in just becoming better at communicating with others, especially as a technical person communicating with non-technical people. And I turned it into a course at first. And the course was called Teach the Geek to Speak. And essentially the book came after the course, which is essentially, uh, I, guess, I guess, a book version of the course. So in the event that you don't want to sit down for however long and go through the course, you can look at the book instead. Well, and I appreciate authors who don't fill their books with lots of fluff. I mean, it's a quick read. And uh, honestly, the big 200 page, 300 page books intimidate me, but this one is less than hundred pages. I'll be sure to get my copy over to Bob because he is very passionate about speaking and he can t- share a little bit about his own experience uh, getting into Toastmasters and developing his own strength. And I think you talk about Toastmasters in here. Um, oh, yeah. Really I was a member of Toastmasters for a number of years, and it's a great forum to practice your public speaking. Bob, why don't you share a little bit about your uh, kind of experience over the last few years developing your own skills as a as a geek, for a self-proclaimed geek, and, and moving into that realm of professional speaking? I am a certified geek, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Not self-proclaimed. Uh, but it, But I have always struggled with with public speaking. Uh, In the early stages of my career, I often would tell people that I would rather be shot at than have to stand up and speak in front of people. And having both of those experiences, that's a true statement. 
it, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a very difficult thing to, to do that and, and to communicate like that. And I spent several years in, in Toastmasters trying to perfect that, that process. So what Neil's addressing here is, is a critical issue in the tech community because quite frankly, you know, I'm not the only one who struggles with that. Lots and lots and lots of people with technical skills struggle to communicate in something approximating English, you know, with other people. I mean, we get we get knocks for it all the time. You know, you've been speaking for 30 minutes. I haven't found a word I understand yet. I mean, that, that's just not that uncommon when you have a real, you know, a geek standing in front of a non-technical audience. It's, it's typically a disaster. And it's even the tempo. I actually watched my brother speak, who's very technical in the financial sector. And it was so over my head what he was talking about. Granted, I maybe wasn't the target audience for his talk, but I think that just the, the rapid pace at which technical people who are highly skilled at what they do speak is probably part of the problem. What else have you found, Neil, has been some of the biggest challenges that um, STEM professionals have in communicating effectively? I think it's a lack of empathy. I mean, we weren't always technical. You had to go through school, I'm, I'm guessing maybe a number of years of experience to get to the level of expertise that you have. And then once you're there, you just assume that other people just will understand you, but you weren't always there. Just remember what it was like when you didn't have the expertise that you now have. What would you have wanted to know? I mean, would you have been able to follow you now back then? Probably not. And I think a lot of us just don't think about that type of thing, which is so unfortunate. I know I certainly didn't. When I, when I was giving presentations in front of management, I would slap slides together. I wouldn't even really think too much about what goes on them. I'd read the slides. I tried to get out of there as quickly as possible, but I never got out of there as quickly as possible because what ended up happening is I'd have to answer questions afterwards that I thought I had answered during the presentation. But because I didn't put things in a way that the people in the audience can understand, if I was a sweaty mess before the presentation and during it, now I really am. And, <laughs> and it, just, it, was such, it was so unfortunate. And ultimately what really changed my, my trajectory when it came to getting better at, at giving presentations was my project being canceled. You would have thought I would have gotten the message maybe after the first, second, third presentation. No, it, my, my project had to be canceled. Something catastrophic had to happen to me. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully by others hearing that they don't go down the same path I did. Don't, don't get a project canceled. Never waste a perfectly good disaster. <laughs> it's, I, I love Bob. He's taught me about failure. He's given me a whole new perspective that Failure, there really isn't any such thing as failure. You either learn a lesson or you succeed. There's, there's no failure. If you fail to learn that lesson, it'll be taught again. And I think we are taught continually. And maybe years later, we're reminded, oh, that was a lesson I was supposed to learn. So, um, yes, I think that's good, Neil, is that you don't need to have those catastrophic failures to necessarily understand or have the uh, importance just to hone in like, oh, this really is a skill. And maybe I need to ask people, I mean, what can someone who's a STEM professional do right now to avoid some of the missteps you had early on? Well, be more mindful, firstly, about giving presentations and not just slapping things together and getting up there and winging it, actually thinking about the presentation, thinking about the people who are going to be there, what's their level of expertise? 
we use a lot of technical jargon based on whatever field you're in. Maybe you want to eliminate that technical jargon for people who might not even understand what they what what those words mean. Because oftentimes what happens is you'll either like in my case get questions afterwards, or you may get people to tune out completely. They don't even bother listening because you're using a whole bunch of words they don't understand. And then another another thing that you really should do, as I mentioned earlier, is just just have that empathy. Just remember that you weren't always that expert and that. Other people in the audience, they are there likely because they want to understand what you're saying. So make it a good use of their time. And, and frankly, make it a good use of your time as well. Yeah, and that actually, and, and I just gave a talk for the first time on AI on Saturday to a writer's group. And I had probably put about 10 hours, maybe 20 hours worth of research into it. And exactly what you're saying, this was an older group of authors, you know, over 60 was the average age. And I knew that I would quickly lose them or scare the bejesus out of them if they didn't, if I dove into what I sort of discovered at the end of my research, which was overwhelming of what's going on in AI, we can all agree. And that empathy piece is an important uh, distinction that I, I think makes all the difference. And it's almost about a tempo of how you speak and making sure that you're watching the response is why it's so hard to give presentations online is, you know, you don't see that reaction and kind of feel the audience. Are you losing them? Are you going too fast? Um, are they getting angry? I mean, you can physically see them start to recoil if what you're talking about is just starting to freak them out. I mean, our brains are only have the capacity to <laughs> comprehend so much. So uh, I think it's so important to have that beginner mindset that you had when you started. And it was a little scary and, and you've put more time into understanding something. So I think that's the really good tip, a good takeaway. I want to dive into a couple of more practical pieces of it. The things that I didn't see that were in your book, but I know that you've probably had to overcome and deal with. Um, first and foremost is how do you find speaking engagements? I'm a big fan of using LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn every day. I was on LinkedIn before I spoke to, before I was speaking with you both today. So it's a, it's an excellent platform to meet decision makers within the industry. And what I typically do is with my connections, I will go through their connections and see if there are people that would perhaps want to know more about what I do with Teach the Geek. And then I'll reach out to our mutual connection, which is you know, the person I'm connected to, and ask them about these people. And ask and and also ask them whether they'd be open to a call because oftentimes there might be a number of people I've seen in their connection list and then what what ends up happening is either they'll accept the call and then I'll go through the names on the call or they'll say send me the list of the names and then I, I'll do that and then they'll say well okay I know this person really well I don't know this person as well and then I'll reach out to those people accordingly for the ones that they do know well I'll mention the fact that I spoke to the our our, our shared connection and just you know, to introduce myself and to the ones that don't know me or that, that, that the, my shared connection didn't know, then maybe I don't, I don't mention that. But going through, going through the connections list is, or my, my connections connections has been really helpful for me just to find people who work in companies who want to know more about what I do with Teach the Geek. And then oftentimes business comes from that. So you're proactively working your Rolodex, your modern day Rolodex. And Bob, I know you are a LinkedIn junkie uh, what has been your experience and, and anything that Neil has shared resonate? Well, I, I agree with Neil. I mean, I, I think that LinkedIn is a very powerful platform for doing what he's doing, which is, really is 
referral sales 101. I mean, this is the one of the first things that you teach sales reps is to do exactly what Neil is doing. And, and that is to work your referral and from your referral to their contacts. Uh, so I, I think that's a really good strategy to, to hold in that. I mean, I, I guess the questions that I have on, on the speaking side of things is, uh, you know, how it, it, it's two different worlds. I think when, when you try to speak in a virtual setting like this, as opposed to a physical setting, you know, the, the rules all change. Uh, to, to some degree, and I'm wondering, Neil, how how do you recommend to people that they that they handle that? I mean, it, it's it's very easy to do a presentation online very poorly because <laughs> you don't you don't get the feedback from the people that you get from other things. I mean, sometimes you talk to a virtual group and half the people on there won't even turn their camera on. Right. Uh, yeah. It, it definitely is a is a concern, and I fully agree with you both. In person does seem to trump virtual, although virtual is easier and oftentimes cheaper. But one of the ways that you can keep people engaged in virtual communication or virtual presentations is asking them to participate. You know, asking them questions, asking having polls. You know, having the chat line open so people can actually chat with each other and even ask you ask questions in the chat function or even have a Q and A. I believe, yeah, I believe Zoom has a Q&A function. And so just having people engaged, and I think that's really the best you can do because, you, as you mentioned, a lot of people may even have their cameras off, and you certainly can ask them to take their, you know, open, you know, turn on their cameras, but ultimately it's it's their choice. But when they're in person, there's no camera. I, I can see you no matter what. <laughs> well, and I, I feel when I do a presentation online, I often feel like I'm I'm socially blind. I mean, I don't get the feedback from the, uh, from the headshot that you get from a physical, you know, physical speak. And, and I do think that a lot of people that do presentations online are guilty of the death by PowerPoint where they just get up there and they start talking and they never stop. And there's no engagement, as Neil said, that, you know, engaging that audience is almost as important as what you say. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of the panel model because it seems that it's a lot more authentic and, truthful. I mean, people say things, if it's not rehearsed, the questions, you know, perhaps take the conversation in a new direction. And I just, for the conference I'm going to be doing in October, it's all panels discussions for the first time, every single session is going to be a panel. And it's a little scary because it's unpredictable, but at the same time, I think that that's where the real gold can be found sometimes is just in in getting that authentic engagement. Um, Neil, the, the world I've been resisting and Bob's probably gone back into it a little better than I have is social media. Anyone who's over 50 didn't grow up in this world of social media. And we're, it's still for many of us, a very uncomfortable idea of sharing yourself so blatantly and completely and frequently. Um, how have you used social media to help grow your business? And what advice would you give to STEMs who are reluctant to put themselves out there in fear of being found out or criticized or all the things, you know, that we want to be knowledgeable about what we're talking about. I don't think we'd like to be put on the spot about things we don't know about, but what what are your thoughts on social media? 
Yeah, I, I certainly see the point of people not going on social media out of fear of being criticized. Luckily, that has never really been a, an issue for me. I figure, you know, other people's opinion of me is none of my business. So maybe that's a maybe that's a a, a, a mantra that other people can can take up. But ultimately, I just see the pros outweighing the cons in, in being on social media. I mean, I mentioned LinkedIn. That's a that's a social media platform that I post on fairly regularly. I mean, I mentioned or you mentioned that I have a podcast and I often post about the podcast on on LinkedIn and Instagram and and Twitter as well. I'm not as active on Instagram and Twitter as I am on on LinkedIn, but the oh, and also another thing you mentioned was the the idea of of people older people maybe not wanting to put themselves out there. I mean, what I put out there typically has to do with what I do when it when it comes to technical presentations. I know there are other people that tend to be more personal with their social media. They'll they'll talk about you know their personal lives. I don't really do too much of that, really. I mean, all I all I do is. I'm trying to be seen as a resource when it comes to improving in technical presentations. So basically everything that I put out has to do with that in some way, whether it's the, my YouTube channel, the, the podcast, any post that I put out there, my newsletter on LinkedIn, it all basically stems from the same thing. Yeah. And I think that is a mindset of sharing all your knowledge freely and trying to help others as opposed to maybe holding back and saying, well, you know, if you buy this book, if you buy this course, you'll get the, the nut of it. But I think that what I see with the people who are successful on social media is like, no, no, they're giving away everything they know, 100% free. And if it's going to help someone out there who maybe can't afford to buy one of their courses, uh, more power to you. Would you say that sort of your mindset is that abundance of knowledge and sharing? It wasn't always, but it certainly is now. So okay. late last year, I joined a membership group that is based on social selling, especially using LinkedIn to do social selling. And the head of the group, whose name is Bryn Tillman, she's a big fan of what you were just talking about, abundance and and being valuable to people and, and being a resource to others. She has a podcast called Making Sales Social. And I listen to it religiously as, as, in addition to being a member of her membership group. And I, I learned so much from her and the other people in the group and just not being as rigid in thinking, well, if I give this away, no one will pay. That's not true. That's that's not really true. Basically, she talks about how you being you need to be seen as a resource for that to get get people to actually want to pay for whatever you sell, as opposed to telling people a whole lot of well, really nothing, and then hoping that they eventually buy whatever you want to to sell, or maybe giving them a little piece but not giving them a a, a whole lot more that they can actually implement and use, and then thinking, well, if if I do that, then they'll they'll buy. It's it's just not something that I, I I'm a part. Of. It's not something that I'm a fan of now. It's I'm way bit more of a fan of being open and offering help. I mean, I recently maybe well, it was in the last few weeks started doing daily videos on YouTube. Well, Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. On Wednesdays, I post my podcast episode. But the other the other weekdays, I'll post tips on just how to improve in in public speaking. And obviously, YouTube is free, and anybody can go to the YouTube channel. And check out any of those videos. So, over time, I've become a lot more free in in giving information and just wanting to be seen as a, a resource. That's a lot of time that you're spending marketing yourself that frequently. And I think that's the other thing is if you're trying to run and build a business, is finding the time uh, in your calendar to add something more. Because I could spend three four hours a day in my email if I 
if I allowed myself to, right? And then on top of social media, that's another, I maybe two to three hours, that leaves an hour or two of the workday for work. And that's, I think, ultimately the challenge I see. But what are, what are you doing to actually spend that much time on social media? Well, I like to have a process about it. So I, I wake up pretty early, quarter to five on weekdays. And I, I do that so that I can exercise. But then when I, once I've finished my exercise and take my shower afterwards, that's when I shoot my video. So my videos typically take between two and 10 minutes. So it's not very long. But I, I basically have it baked into my every day. So it's not something that I have to really think about doing. It's something that I know I'm going to do, like brushing my teeth and taking a shower. So it's just it's just part of my everyday routine at this point. And you get it out of the way then before your workday really begins. 100%. Okay. Bob, well, I, I think, yeah, I think one of the things too is that not so much in, in the business I have right now, but the business that I owned previous to this, which was a digital marketing agency, the more we shared, the more business we did. And, and quite honestly, a number of clients would come to us and say, you know, I listened to all the detail that you go through on it. And I now understand why I pay you, you know, so it, it really does. There are people that are going to take what you do and, and they're going to go do it. And those people were never going to do business with you anyway. So you didn't lose anything. You just didn't get what you didn't get. <laughs> And and other people will will go through and they'll they'll look at it and say now I understand why I need an expert to do this, and they would come to us and engage us for that because we help them understand. You know, those that help you understand are the people that you trust. And, yeah, and I, I think so, my perfectionism too is just personally that even an email, you know, I go back and I will rework an email much longer than it's past its life cycle and it's getting past that perfectionist kind of level of quality that it's about the content, about the information. And maybe like what uh, Neil's doing here, he basically has a structure. He's got a nice studio there. He doesn't have to put a lot of thought into it. I mean, you just baked in, this is Neil and this is my brand and this is how I do things, but you don't obsess over every little detail of your videos. I take it. Oh, 100%. No, especially that early in the morning. <laughs> Um, and then let's shift over to the fact that you did just publish this book. I mean, relatively recently, just before COVID and how has your influence changed as a result of being a published author? Well, people see you as a thought leader when you have a book. And I didn't know that at first, it, the book was, that wasn't actually my idea. I mean, I, it was my idea to create the course and the book came from the advice from a woman that I hired to help me with promoting Teach the Geek because I worked as an engineer for a number of years. I knew nothing about marketing and sales. So I hired this person and she's the one who said, you really should write a book and you should write an accompanying workbook that goes with the book. And you can use that in trainings. And I thought, okay. And then she also said, with the, with the book and the workbook, they'll be based on the course that you've already created. So it's not as if you have to recreate the wheel. And I thought, okay, that's, that's, that's good too. And then when another thing that I've been using the book for is to send to people, you know, it, if, if you really want, if you don't want to look at the videos, you don't want to listen to the podcast, maybe you don't read my posts. Hey, maybe you'll, you'll take a look at this book. As you mentioned, it's a less than a hundred pages. It's not a long book. And that was on purpose. I was never going to write a 200, 300 page book because people won't read them. And I've actually done some research on this. And it seems that as time goes on, books become longer. 
So I think I think the research I saw said that I think 25 years ago, books were about 20, 25% less long. So books have definitely increased in page number and and, and word count, but has the as the I guess the, the the what the book is trying to convey has that improved? I'm not I'm not sure because oftentimes I'll go and look at the one and two star reviews on Amazon of of business books or you know, personal development books, professional development books, and one of the biggest critiques of them is one of the biggest critiques that the book was over overly long. The book did not need to be as long as it was. There was a lot of repetition in there. There was a lot of superfluous information in there. There was more stories than were needed to be told to convey the message of the book. And I just think it's just, it's unfortunate. So I, I made sure that the book that I wrote was going to be a short one. So people wouldn't say, I'm not reading this. No. And I, I heard a crazy statistic that 20%, only 20% of the people who buy your book actually read the book from start to finish. Like it's a very small number of people. And I will admit that I have a bookshelf, probably a hundred books. And I've probably read 20% of them from start to finish. Um, we have the idea that, oh, this is a great book. I'm going to read it. But then another book comes up. That's another great book. I'm going to read it. And we just have a lot of books. But it's something like this, I could sit down in an hour and probably crank through it in a couple hours and be complete with reading it. So I do think that that statistic is probably much lower for shorter books. Um, and but I Ahead, I think Mark Mark Twain put it really well. You know, I'd write you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. It takes more time to write a short book than it does to write a, a long book because you have to write it better. You have to you have to get mm -hmm. your message across. You're not reducing your content; you're simply reducing your communication. Which I I think Neil's on on really on track with that. Is that the shorter the shorter the book the better the quality of, of that has to be to get the same amount of information across and don't tell the same story three times and, and you know, that kind of stuff. And I've written nine books and <laughs> the longer they get, the worse they are. Yeah, it's, it is good. And it's also succinct and maybe even conveying to the speaking that you have to do. You have to be succinct to the point and don't linger and don't just, jabber on because you're going to lose people but perhaps your book the fact that it's short is exactly the theory and the philosophy you have behind what you want your students to have when they go out and present is that accurate oh yeah i'm definitely on my own brand good 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 um now, now what what caused you to pick on the geek because it's just one. because of your okay <laughs> yeah it, it, fair it, enough fair yeah. enough I mean, as I mentioned, I worked as an engineer for a number of years in medical devices, and I noticed a lot of the other, other engineers weren't all that much better at communicating than I was. So I developed something that was for me and for people like me. Okay. What advantages do geeks have over non-geeks when it comes to presenting and speaking? I think, I think one thing would be conscientiousness and wanting to do a good, really wanting to do a good job. So I at least I eventually saw the benefit of doing something. I mean, my project had to be canceled, so maybe I'm not the best example of this, but I, I definitely got better at, at giving presentations. And not only that, but I marked, I guess I tracked my progress too. I think that's something that, that, that people with technical backgrounds care about as well as the metrics. What did I do to get better? Like for instance, 
I used to use a lot of filler words when I gave presentations. Um, you know, so so I started recording myself giving presentations to to track how many of these did I use. And so when I first started, I used a whole lot more than I do now. And how do I know that? Because I recorded myself and I can actually go back and, and count them. So, so, so I used 40 this time. I used uh, maybe 35 this, this next time and 30 the next time. So you can actually track your progress. So I think that's something that technical people like. They like to see data. They like metrics. So if they're able to use those metrics to get better, at your presentations or just anything, I think that's definitely a, a benefit that, that more technical people would would buy into. Yeah, I agree. I think that's very true. Bob is a very much a numbers data cruncher guy, and um, I agree that the listening to what yourself. What talking about there though is stuff that uh, Toastmasters expresses all of that that kind of stuff, and you know the books are great, but you also have to practice it. Yeah, and and so you need to take his book and apply it and then go back and and I don't think you have to do the Toastmaster necessarily as much as you have to follow the process. You have to do exactly what Neil said is, you know, count your ums and filler words and duplicate words and, and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And uh, it's very difficult to do that. And a, a pod, even a podcast is a good opportunity to practice your presentation skills. I will tell you that a lot of our clients you know, we help get them on podcasts. And when they first start, it's hard to listen to their first few podcasts. They, they are using all the filler words. They're repeating themselves. They're not being clear. But by the 50th, 60th, 70th podcast that they've been on, they are very succinct to the point. They feel good about their message. They understand. They anticipate what's coming next. And it just takes practice. And before you get booked on a big podcast with thousands and thousands of listeners, Get that practice with the smaller podcasts. I don't care if you know you don't think it's in, you're you're more important than a small podcast audience would uh, warrant. But at the same time, when you get that opportunity to be on NPR or something, you better be rehearsed and you better not make that your first time because you will regret it when you hear it back. You're like, damn, I wish I had more practice. So I think the sooner you start to practice, the better. And um, whatever avenues you can do, I think Neil, you you hit on get on LinkedIn. Find some groups to speak to. Do your research. I mean, you must have started at Rotaries and, and other community groups. I mean, is that something you spent time doing early on? Oh, yeah. And I think I mentioned I was a member of Toastmasters, too. And it's an excellent forum to, to practice your public speaking skills, especially when it comes to filler words, as Bob mentioned. For those of you all that don't know, there is a person in the group during a meeting called the Awe Counter. And this is a person who counts the, all your filler words. I was actually a member of a Toastmasters club that you would have to pay money every time you used a filler word. I, there was, I remember this one member, he used to come in to the meeting. First thing he'd do is we'd have this jar for the Oz, all the filler words, and he just put money into it before the meeting <laughs> even started. Because he knew he was going to use filler words. Yeah. Well... Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Bob, you have anything else? We're at the 30-minute mark. I kind of promised that we'd keep this one a little bit shorter today. Um, anything I didn't ask that you might want to ask Neil about for our listeners? Well, I, I guess you, you touched a little bit on it, but maybe you could dig a little deeper on the uh, organization and the presentation uh, process that links into the teacher geek process that you're talking about. And uh, how did you... How did you 
develop those skills? Where did those come from? Was it well, just a natural process? And if you jump to the end of his book, he has the six step process for STEM professionals to achieve speaking success. So maybe give us those six steps, Neil. That would be awesome. I think that's what Bob's asking. Oh yeah, I got my I got my copy right here as well. So yeah, I, I certainly can do that. Let's just take it take a look so I don't make sure I don't miss anything. So skip to the end of the book and tell me the secret. <laughs> <laughs> so the first the first the first step is knowing your audience. So basically, right. doing an audit on, on the people who are actually going to be in the in the audience listening to your presentation. And I remember back when I used to give presentations in front of management. What I ended what I started doing was going to their administrative assistants and asking them. What kind of information do I need to include in this presentation for your boss to actually listen to it? Because oftentimes their, their bosses are busy. I was going to get a meeting with the CEO whenever I had to give a presentation in front of them. So that's the first thing. The second, the second step I talk about is timing. I mean, how many, how many meetings have you been in where someone's presenting and they're given a certain amount of time and they go over? I actually give a story in the book about one of those instances, which I found highly, highly annoying. So basically... Practice your presentation so that you finish within time, but leave a bit of buffer in there so that if there are questions that you can have time to answer them and you still don't go over time. The third is I, I talk about the third step is talking about speech structure and how you want to figure out what your call to action is. What do you want the people to do after your presentation and figuring out what that is and then working backwards? What points do you need to make that feed into the call to action? What introduction would make sense to have that feed into the points that then feed into the call to action? So that's the third step. The fourth step is uh, getting feedback, getting feedback from others. We can think we're doing the great job. We can think we're doing a poor job. And we both, um, they both can be true. But we also want to get, the, we want to get feedback from other people. What do they think we, we can improve on? And what do they think we did well? The fifth step, I talk about fillers. I mean, we mentioned that earlier uh, with the ums and the ahs, you know, and a great way to get rid of those or minimize them at least is to record yourself because oftentimes we may use way more than we think we did. And we ever go back to the video and, or the recording and listen, then now we know for sure how many we used and we know what the baseline is to try to minimize those filler words. And then the sixth and final step is what I call personal inventory. I mean, I mentioned the, the idea of getting feedback from others. We also need to take feedback from ourselves. I remember an instance where I was told during, actually during a Toastmasters meeting, my evaluator said that I should improve my eye contact. But then other people in the group said, I really liked your eye contact. So obviously I got this contradictory feedback. So I used my personal inventory to figure out what do I really want to get better at? Do I think my, do I think my feet, my eye contact is, is good or do I think it needs improvement? So those basically are the six steps. When you record yourself, do you do that in video or audio? Preferably video. So then you can actually see yourself and even see the, your nonverbal communication as well. Okay. Excellent. That's a really good summary. And, um, you know, kudos to you, Neil, for building this out as a business. I assume this is your full-time gig now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it certainly is. But I also have a children's book. So I do author visits and, and sell the book as well. My children's book is called Ask Uncle Neil, Why Is My Hair Curly? It's about my nephew asking me why his hair is the way it is. And I use science to answer the question. And the goal eventually is to make it a series in which my nephew asks me a question and I use science to answer it. I love it. And yeah, Matt, that was my thought. My question is just sort of where do you want to go with all of this in the next few years? Well, with Teach the Geek, certainly to do more trainings, to get more people aware of what I do. 
what I really like about Teach the Geek is, I mean, public speaking training is not new. I mean, there's a whole lot of people that do it. But the, the reason I focus on technical people is because I come from that group. So I, I certainly would, it never even occurred to me. I, I just don't think I have the credibility to talk to salespeople. I never worked in sales. I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk to any other group outside of technical people because I come from the group in which I'm addressing. So they're going to hear from somebody who's, pro, who's likely been where they've been. I like that. I think you're filling an important niche. All right. Well, if folks want to get in touch with you, Neil, why don't you share a little bit about the best way to reach you? Sure. You can reach me at teachthegeek.com. And you mentioned the podcast earlier. If you want to check out the podcast, you can go to podcast.teachthegeek.com. And I also mentioned the, the YouTube channel where I, I do videos on improving in your public speaking skills. And you can check that out at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Excellent. Well, thank you for carving out time for us today. I wish you all the best of luck. And I encourage our listeners to learn more about uh, developing their speaking uh, talents uh, because it can prove to be a very good career move for you and be very rewarding. I think once you get comfortable in front of an audience, it's a very rewarding experience because I often tell the groups I speak to, usually it's writers, you know, I love that experience because here's a group of people that are there that, to listen to you, that respect what you know and they value the knowledge and the time that you put into it, as opposed to maybe my wife, who could care less about half the things I, I spend my days studying. Uh, and it's just very rewarding to get that feedback from a community of people. Um, so it's, I think people who are maybe intimidated by speaking will find that it can become a very enriching part of your life that you'll actually be drawn to do more of. And in order to do that, you can write a book, find a topic that you're really passionate about. I think Neil's a great example. Come from the community that you were already a part of and go back and find out what you can do to help that community because you understand them as a member within that community. And Neil, one, one closing question. Are you planning to uh, update this book? You said it was published in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. It was published in 2018 and, and certainly I mean, things have changed. Virtual is way more popular than it, than it was when I first put out the book. So yeah, there's certainly the book it can be is due for a refresh. Good. Okay. All right. I'm going to end recording. We'll stay on for just a minute. Thank you everyone for taking time to listen and hope to catch you on another episode of Tech Reads. Thank you for listening to Tech Reads, sponsored by SoftTech. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. If you have comments, questions, or want to suggest an author for a future episode, visit softtech at softec.org and click on the Tech Reads link.